This is Gage checking in. This is Eddie checking in. And this is Two Boys in a Podcast. And today, today we're really just going to be talking about, um, well, I'm going to be talking about my experience on set uh, for the movie that I was just working on. And then Eddie's going to be going into his pregame mentalities and uh, where we're moving forward from there. It's going to be kind of a basic episode. So I guess I'll start off. Um, so recently, let me put the headphones down. A friend of mine, who we've been friends since, you know, kind of like freshman, sophomore year, um, we've worked together on certain productions, he used to go to a camp up in Maine, and his camp counselor ended up being the director of this film, he, directing this, this short film uh, called The Recovery Call. And then eventually my friend became a camp counselor as well, and they're like six years apart, five years apart, something like that. Um, And so they were working together, and this summer he was saying that he was going to start working on this project, that my friend's friend was going to start working on this project. And then he asked if he, the camp counselor, the older guy, the director, asked my friend if he had anybody in mind to help work on the film, um, volunteer basis only, but they would pay for my stay uh, at this place. And so I accepted as being grip and electric, which is dealing with lighting and electricity, like running power to the set and all that business. Um, and yeah, so I just, I skipped classes for like four days, uh, went to upstate New York, Silver Bay, YMCA, um, right on Lake George, beautiful. And we used the building as like, um, as like the set for the for the film and it was it was it was pretty rad oh yeah i should, probably shouldn't have said their name <laughs> yeah i think they told us not to Uh-oh. oh i'll bleep it out yeah bleep it out. um damn i have to now you have to do serious editing i know on this before i used to just like upload this so yeah. i'll figure out how to bleep i know how to do it on premiere i'll figure it out yeah Shoot, I'll make a note of it. What time is it? New challenger approaches. Uh, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. Make a note to myself. So anyways, we were... Wait, so how long is this movie going to be in actual time? It's going to be a 15 minute short. Oh, wow. It's, but, um... But, 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 up to the top. Um, shit, hold on. I really gotta... I really gotta write this down to make sure I don't forget. Um... KG boy is nervous now. I know. Well, they said specifically not to link them bum, 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 to the production. Oh, God. Oh. So it was just a place in upstate New York. Okay. But, anyways. Are you guys going to be so, submitting it to any festivals? Or? Yeah, so the way this works, right? The main actor was also the writer. Uh, Evan. Right, director, producer. No, he was writer and he was an actor. The director was a friend of his, Blake. Um... The way it works usually is you make a short version of a film, like a 15 or a 20 minute film, and then you bring it to festivals to show as a short, and then if producers at like production houses like the film, then they will buy the rights to the film, and they'll give you money to produce the feature length thing. Mm. So you're basically, you have a story in mind for a feature length, but you only write the condensed version. So essentially it's like an elevator pitch. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So... But the elevator pitch took four days straight to, <laughs> to make. It's pretty insane, but it was a four-day straight shoot. And they still have to edit it, of course. And the pre-production, I imagine, spanned even longer than that because I knew about this some months in advance. But it was a very good crash course in how even just minor productions work because this is, like, light years away from what I was dealing with in school. And to anybody, the obvious advice for anything is real-life experience trumps sitting in class in a lecture listening to your teacher definitely but that being said without the classes that i took i wouldn't feel comfortable approaching this project or lending my services like lending my help uh i would feel kind of useless on set so what i was doing was grip and electric mostly grip because electric we didn't really have to 
create power sources like generators or anything or wire anything. We just had to run extension cords through the building uh, to outlets. But you needed to know basic wattage and like voltage and and power output and if you would blow a circuit. So um, typically like a house outlet has about 2,000 watts of power and each light its name is named after how many watts it uses. So it's like a 250, a 650, a 1,000. So you can kind of do the simple math in your head if you start adding up the wattages if it's going to blow. Um, and you want to leave a little wiggle room. It's going to blow. Yeah. But anyways, without the nitty gritty, I learned so much when I was on set there. It was the most wonderful experience. It, at the first day, I was super nervous. It was super... Uh, questioning everything. I was like, I don't belong here because they had a really, really nice camera and all these nice lights and a truck they were moving all the stuff with and like a big like rental truck and it was a very big production. It was small. It was a small production but it was to me it was huge, you know? And I worked alongside this guy named Eric and pretty much everyone on the set was from either New Jersey or New York, that like metropolitan area. Um, so they, some of, a lot of them have worked on previous projects together. Um, but I, along with a mutual friend and then my friend who got me the job, we were all kind of our own little group. We were the Boston boys. You know, we were, there. everyone was like, oh, you guys go to school? That's cool, yeah. My friend was doing behind-the-scenes photography, so he got a lot of pictures of me working, which is great for, you know, profiles in the future when I make, like, a LinkedIn or whatever. It's going to be super helpful. You should make one now. I know. Like, yeah. right now. Get your phone out, dude. No. Okay, don't okay. Do it. <laughs> it's gonna derail me. And I'm like, oh, wait, what? I have to fill the. Okay, cool. My resume. I I have to revamp. That's the whole point of me taking this job, actually, to tie it back. Is is that I need more productions under my belt. I need to say that I worked on more things and to show the work that I've done. Yeah. And this experience truly was like out of this world. I was dealing with people that really knew what they were doing. And gave me the chance to fuck it up. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, gave me... There was real stakes on the table, is what I'm saying. There was a real deadline with a real budget, working with no money in return. There's no ROI on this. It is very long-term, because you have to show it, and then that is an advertisement to be bought up for the real deal. And it's a cool story, you know? It's, it's the story about a former addict who becomes a sober coach whose sponsee has fallen back into drug use, he's relapsed, and he found out that his sponsee is at this hotel. And when he goes to this hotel, he realizes something's up, that not everything is all right. And he starts to discover supernatural elements to the hotel. Mm. And that this hotel is drawing him more and more in, like his sponsee. is basically, everything about this hotel is haunted and twisted and makes you, it is pulling our, pulling the sponsee uh, Grant back into the hotel and like not letting him get away from the drugs and stuff like that. And so it's kind of the sober living coach. It's not only his duty to like get him off the drugs, but it's like to get him out of this like haunted hotel. It's very cool. The sets that they used, we had a whole floor of hotel rooms to use and it was really dope. And that reminds me of this book I read. It was called Asylum. Mm -hmm. So this kid, he goes to the summer program in New Hampshire and the building that they use is it was a renovated you know asylum insane asylum yeah and so he had this weird connection with the asylum and there were still parts of the building that wasn't renovated Mm -hmm. so he would venture out at night with his uh, friends that he met on the campus and so they would find you know, old documents and pictures of, like, patients that used to be there. And then he started to have these weird dreams, you know, that he was a part of the asylum himself in some strange way. It's pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Working on set, I got more... I I remember because my my dad was kind of concerned when I called him and told him I was going to skip school for a week, which, like, rightfully so. Obviously, I'm going to school. I I should make sure that I'm, like, getting my money's worth, but... I told him, I like, I'll never, I'm not going to remember what I learned on that week in of school, but I'll never forget the time that I went on my first, like, professional film set yeah. and, like, acted in, like, within, the, within a specific role. It's really a whole different atmosphere when there are things on the line and there are, like, money 
being used to buy things and you know time is money you know yada, yeah yada. and that's something that kind of starts snowballing for you i think because for my girlfriend she this past summer she was on set for a week with these people in like central massachusetts to do an indie film and so with those connections those people saw how good she was and how much a part of the team she wanted to be so that started to snowball into her doing other gigs and now she was in the same situation as you. Like the last few gigs that she had to do, she had to skip class in order to get, like had to miss a midterm in order to. I missed the midterm too, yeah. dude. Like, so. But luckily my teacher was cool about it. And he, you know, unless they're real hard asses, they understand because they know that's where the real experience is anyways. Yeah. But I'm going to be finishing my, I'm going to be doing my midterm on Monday because he knows that I know what I need to do. Yeah. Like I even left my review class. Because he was just going over the things I already knew. I don't know if I covered this the last... I don't think you did. ...podcast. But uh, he was going over... It was a whole class dedicated to just reviewing things I already knew and that I could have nailed the test. And so I just left so I could do another assignment before, you know, to get my ducks in a row so that I could go head off to this production. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he took my word that I'm not going to, like, cheat, you know, like, I'm not going to study even more, I guess. Or even if I did... You know what I mean? Like... I'm going to, ultimately, you have to understand, the test is pretty, from what I heard, pretty practical, like, understanding how to, yeah, it's going to be fine. He's letting me do it, which is all that matters. But anyways, um, I mean, I just felt high, like, after I got off the set, and while I was on the set, too, our days, we had three days, technically four, so we, the first two days was one to midnight, you know, so when I got there Monday, it was Monday, one to midnight, Tuesday, one to midnight. Then Wednesday, Wednesday, we didn't start the day until 6 p.m., hmm. but we didn't stop until 6 a.m. Oh, wow. So you shoot throughout the night. That's so interesting. But that was for the people like me on set. Those were for, like, main crew. Uh-huh. What they did have, though, at noon was a drone footage capture, and they had an old... The movie set in the 1990s, and they had an old Ford Bronco that the guy drives, so they were doing car scenes, too, mm-hmm. where it was minimal set, where they had to, like, put something on the hood to, like, shoot through the window, mm. you know? But the set, I look... I keep saying this. I learned so much. I learned so much. I learned I mean, so much. You, but I literally learned yeah. like actual practical things, like uh, an ob- like a, an item. I learned, you know, like I learned what a book a book light is, which is where you bounce light off of a diffusion, or you know, which is basically like a white board that spreads the light, and then or sorry, off of a a bounce, and then that goes through diffusion. So it's just this like really interesting. Because basically what lighting is for a movie, as I understand it now, or as I, like, helps me understand it, is, like, you're basically solving a puzzle with light. You're, you're, you see an empty space, and then you're like, well, we have to fill this in the most logical way so as not to draw attention to the fact that we are lighting it. But if we just left it alone and, like, made it look quote-unquote realistic, it would look stupid and boring. It wouldn't be able to see anything. And so we had an outside shot where it was, like, over hills, and there he was parked on top of, you know, on the road. But behind the road, there was a drop-off into the river mm-hmm. or into the lake. And then, like, in front of him, it was kind of, like, a rolling hill a little bit. So you have to throw light behind it so that the car pops out from the background. And then you have to throw a light on the car and then throw a light on a car from the other side so it makes sure so the car stands out. And then he has to have light, so we put... So it was a whole thing. And it was a awesome. literal light show. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, one scene, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's just outside. One scene, and it took... Six lights. Seven lights. Seven lights for this one shot of outside. Just him walking to a door. That's crazy. And these lights are no joke, man. Like, you have to run electricity for all of them separately, pretty much. Because the outlets can't handle all that at once. And then you have to position the lights and, and set up things that the light can pass through. Like there was a this giant grid. It was eight by eight feet. And it was windy. So it basically was a sail. And at one point it actually fell over. With 25 sandbags on it, it still fell over. Jesus. So it's like, this is, it's like serious stuff. And that's like a small set. There are, sometimes you have to block out the entire sky. And that, oh, you, wow. you know, it takes like a tobacco field worth of fucking netting. <laughs> Create your own environment. You, pretty, you have to, man. Like that's what, what it is. Because if you shoot something like for real, realistic, then it doesn't it either doesn't show up or looks like way too much like a video. Because you're like, hold on, like this 
this looks how it sh- like I know this when I'm walking down the street this is what it looks like but it doesn't feel like it looks that way yeah you know because the true reality is like our eyes are a lot smarter than cameras cameras only see what we tell them to see yeah but like our eyes can adjust so much that we can take it in the environment and, cr- and like you know the colors change the light changes and whatever too much into the weeds but yeah I I realized what I wanted to do as like a job job when I leave school and I'm glad that I, I got more direction from this job, like from this um, from this project, because when I leave school now, I know I want to do grip and electric work. I want to do grip work specifically, setting up lights, working with the director of photography to like paint the scene with light, to like throw light however it needs to be done, taking the instruction and then like he, they'll give you... On larger projects, they'll give you the they'll give you what they want to see, and then you have to be the engineer behind that to figure out. Okay, I know what they need, so using the materials I have, how can I give them that image? Because it's their job to think up the image, you know. But the director is like has the image, and then he has to communicate that to the director of photography. And the director of photography is like, okay, well that's what it's going to look like. Let me tell my light guys, and then the light guys have to engineer physically the way which lights are going to be set up how and going to be pointing where through what and off of what so it's this whole hierarchy but i love it it's like it's literally like doing a puzzle every time it's like oh this is gonna be fun how are we gonna do this and you gotta tweak it by a couple inches or or whatever and especially when you have a larger group you can actually work together you don't have to like run back and forth to the camera to see if the light's right like you can have someone who just cares about what it looks like and someone who just cares about how it's working like it helped it gave me such relief because I felt so confused leaving college so soon I was like well what the fuck am I going to do with my life man do I want to be a camera operator do I want to like like I knew I wanted to work movies and I thought that was specific enough but then as you start to approach the end you're like fuck no man like you saying perspective yeah man perspective literally perspective like being behind the camera being on the other side of the scene uh it's just it's just like when I was working at uh, Jonathan Adler at the furniture store I was I figured out that I'd much rather make the furniture than sell it Mm. because I hated selling but it, it was such a slow process because it's a lot of cold calling you know customers just walk in or they're returning and then you have to pitch your furniture to them or mm. if, if they have a you know an inkling of like an idea of what they are thinking you have to you know be the fucking problem solver and be like well this this seating is good for this and if you want you're trying to go for this effect in your room then you should go for this if you really want comfort then we have these options but i rather i feel more comfortable and more confident making it than selling it and also you know if someone said if you said just i'm gonna make furniture straight up that would also be too vague Mm -hmm. because now you're focusing specifically on upholstering as well like Mm -hmm. right now what you're dealing with is reupholstering and upholstering yeah and so like that's like the grip part for me yeah it's like i knew i want to make movies not like critique them or not just like and even when you do upholstering and reupholstering you have to get a little bit more specific because when you say that well do you want to just redo people's furniture that they've had do you want to do restoration work because reupholstering is also restoration in a way Mm. Um, do you want to make are you reupholstering just custom pieces like strictly are you just having returning clients bring furniture that you know you made for them so even then you have to get pretty rough you can be a little bit more loosey goosey with it and you know just taking what clients bring you but even then sometimes you know I've seen um, the my colleagues at my internship say no to clients because they're like that's not what we do sorry like no we're not gonna do that for you sorry mm-hmm. yeah so just to wrap up like the the film set thing it's inspired me to like actually per- pursue a specific part of my career specific part about filmmaking i ultimately still want to be a writer and a director but i can do that on my own time but like when i'm on like a job like job job yeah like going to a set and do working if i want to if i'm going to step foot on a set of someone else's project i want to be working lights i want to be i want to be fucking with those lights and like engineering the the look like the yeah, solving that puzzle every time because mm-hmm. it's so fun there's also something so electric you just watch them do take after take after take and then finally you see them get it and the director's like all right cut 
let's move. And then you move on to the next shot and everyone scatters all at once doing their individual job. You know, the ADs resetting, you know, crossing off. Okay, what do we have next? And like, where's the continuity? What do we have to maintain? What props do we have to keep? What moves? Like everyone's moving and they know exactly what they need to do. And, and you're just, you're just doing your thing and you're passing, zipping through each other. And like, it's so fun. That's cool. And honestly, the production, from my perspective, at least, I'm sure there was problems behind the scenes, but those people held it down. Like, there was very little, if not any, huge fuck-ups. Like, for the most part, stayed on schedule. It was just, it was such a rad experience to work next to professionals, like, to Mm -hmm. see them shine. And in my mind, I was like, how many steps between where I am now and where they are do I need to, like, get through? Yeah. You know, how many, what, what things, and I started picking off little things the director was doing little things from the script you know the actors how the director deals with actors so I'm starting to take little inklings like obviously I'm not all the way there because all those people were pretty much friends and they were all doing it for a favor yeah or like a friend of you know they were all doing it like a handshake deal kind of deal Mm -hmm. so still have to make the actual connections even if I know everything I still need the people that have the stuff mm-hmm. so that's that's a whole other thing but the the probably the most satisfying was when they rapped he had the what he would do for shots is he would have the actor once he nailed the shot once the director found the 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 take that he liked he would then say okay we got it it's all you do whatever you want so on the la- the very last take would be the actor improvising or ten- uh, doing something, tweaking things a little bit, however they'd like, mm-hmm. so that just in case it's even that much better than the take that they actually thought was perfect, they can use that too, yeah. or use pieces so of that. So it was like their plan B film? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much like, well, surprise me, you know? We've talked about what you should do, but then surprise me, and maybe it'll make it. Yeah, make sure make it. So, anyways, I think that's good directorial influence to actors. I'm for sure gonna take that because then it gives them the confidence because you're doing that every time, every shot, even every minor shot. Mm -hmm. He's like, go for it, do whatever you want. And the very last one, once he's already secured that shot that he needs, then he says, do whatever you'd like. So I think that kind of makes boosts the self esteem of the actors and makes them feel better about themselves, but it also makes them feel like they're contributing something to the film as well. well. Obviously, they are contributing their talent, but it's like that they personally are shaping the narrative in a way, uh, which I'm definitely taking that for sure, stealing that. But uh, the last, last, last shot, it was like 5.30 in the morning, 5.45 in the morning, and it was an over-the-shoulder shot of a concierge desk with our main character checking into the hotel. And when he starts to realize things are like really fucked up and haunted. And so then he's like, okay, now I, Evan's like, look at the camera. Cool. Now just say it's a wrap, and then he said like it's a wrap to the camera, and then what he had was was really like cool. I'm just gonna say it's like super cool. The director had every member of the crew come into the hotel quote air quotes and check in air quotes. Oh, that's pretty cool. So like, it, I thought it was pretty clever until it got even cleverer because we were we would all do something like I went up and there was a there's a blow-up doll in the movie and we uh. named her candy and so I was like hey do you guys rent by the by the hour I have a friend candy we want to check in she's like we only about to do it by the minute sir like it's in North Carolina uh. and then I'm like oh even better but then the production guy the, the art director would come in and he would like adjust the bell to make sure it was in the because the art director's in charge of making sure props are on set in the oh, proper place okay. and so he did they started acting out their jobs as characters uh-huh. so he was like move the bell back and forth he's like perfect and then he left the the sound guy came in and like jumped the desk he's like hold on let me check your mic real quick and then, <laughs> and then the guy the, the camera assistant guy came in and he had the DP he had the director of photography fuck with the focus mm-hmm. he's like wait it's not it, uh, never mind and like the focus was coming like way in and out with the camera uh, it was so fun like that's pretty awesome everyone started doing their own little thing like what, what take is this and they're like on camera <laughs> you know what I mean so but yeah it was super fun the people were really nice they were super helpful and I actually proved my salt on set like the guy I was working with kind of he was kind of cold at first which rightfully so he was working on a production he has a job in this career in this field and then he has this like student who doesn't know it or practically doesn't know anything coming on set and trying to fuck everything up but then I, I was so dedicated to learning the all the trade that when he told me something I made sure that I like really internalized it and then I never had to ask him what it was again I just would do it so then when he asked for that thing specifically I could go and do it and there was even times where he would like take a quick nap 
because it was so zonked from all this schedule that then I was doing part of his job with the director of photography. I was like working really close to the person in charge and I was like, oh, he trusts me. Like I felt so giddy. And we were at like a rap, not a rap party, like a mid production party, like drinking beers way into the night because we wanted to reset our clocks and start yeah. the day late the next day so we oh, could okay. stay up until 6 a.m. the next day, which I was able to power through. Um, so we were just drinking beers until like five in the morning. But um, at that, he, he said like, dude, you killed it. Like you exceeded my expectations. He's like, I, what I just said, you know, like I tell you to do something and you just know you, you take it in. Even if you don't know, you ask me at the right time. You don't wait to ask me. You ask me. Then you do that. And then you never have to ask me again. And I'm really impressed. And I was like, you know, if I was still moving to New York, I would love to work with these guys. Yeah. You know, because he works in Jersey. Yeah. But that is all I have to say about that. Great experience. I will never forget this experience unless I get like. And it might open up another opportunity for you. For sure. And I really hope so, too. Another week of classes. <sighs> yes. Well, I'm almost done with class. I'm glad to not have to actually miss stuff. Oh, yeah. You know? But. but if you're in that situation, I think that was a big thing, again, for my girlfriend. She was like, babe, do I go on the set that's an actual major motion picture, hmm. or do I just go to my class? I was like, if you literally don't go to this set, babe, I'm going to be mad at you. Yeah. It sounds like a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity. So, yeah. And uh, it gave he gave me actual practical advice about what to do specifically in Boston, like recommendations for companies that I can work for, or at least try to work for in Boston. Yep. So I will be looking into those specifically. But speaking of loss of memory, how's your how are you feeling about this match? This- okay, so uh, I'll premise it a little bit. So it's not an actual sanctioned fight. So the Boxing Association... It's of- dirty. It's underground. Yeah. Fight on that- cardboard boxes. <laughs> so it's what we call a smokers. And uh, what a smokers is, it kind of goes back in time um, when people wanted to go watch boxing matches but didn't want to pay for them. And then the boxers also wanted to you know, get actual experience without, you know, essentially doing it for free, they would be called smokers. So they'd be underground. They wouldn't be sanctioned. So the association wouldn't know about it, air quotes. Um, and guys would just come in, you know, in their suits, top hats, smoke cigars while boxing matches happen. And so that tradition has gone up, up until today where we do what is called smokers. So I'm fighting against this guy his name is Zach. Really nice guy. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to spar. So, there for us, it's going to be three two-minute rounds instead of the traditional three-minute rounds that boxing usually is. Um, and there's no winner, technically speaking. But sometimes if you knock the person out or, you know, there's an obvious person who had the edge in the fight, people will kind of tell you outside of it. But for the most part, uh, this is my third one. So I know what I'm getting myself into. I definitely am nervous. I'm always nervous about these kind of things. Even when I, like, regularly spar people, I'm always nervous. I think that's just how I am with any situation. But the moment that bell rings, it just all goes away. Because it's one of those situations, like, I can't back out now, so I'm in it. I gotta I'd be such a little bitch about it. It's, well, you know. I couldn't even imagine getting hit. Is it, it sounds it's not that bad, honestly. Unless you get hit really hard. That makes yes. me so uncomfortable thinking about just getting hit. Like yeah. someone threw I don't mean to interject in your in your no, section, but someone threw a bag of Kit Kats at me and I was like rocked. <laughs> <laughs> like and there were Kit Kat minis too. It wasn't even like oh. a proper like big CVS bag. It was Jeez. like we were restocking candy at the movie theater and I'm like, hey, hand me some Kit Kats and I like put my hand up, completely missed my hand and clocked me on the temple. Yeah. I was like, ah fuck. Yeah. Like that rocked me, like let alone a human fist coming from a man with commitment. I know, right? So so yeah. So a couple things going into the fight. Um I have my coach in my corner. Zach has his coach on the corner. Like everybody knows each other type of things. And what's interesting about the, these smokers, it's it's kind of just a fun get together. It could be if they want if they wanted to. But I know for a fact that there will be some fighters who will be participating that are coming from another gym and we got our guys who are Either they do tournaments or smokers, or not smokers, sorry, uh, who are, like, amateur, and then they'll be in there, too. And so, like, those get not heated, but, you know, the tensions are on. Cobra Kai, do or die. <laughs> yeah. There's no mercy in this dojo. Well, 
Uh, Sweep so, the leg. So yeah, sweep the leg. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. So yeah. Damn, that. I mean, that's like a whole another world, dude. It is, but. I mean, it's about putting on a good show and you know you get to meet some cool people actual boxers who have gone professionally come sometimes nothing nobody in the current like time of boxing no no superstar comes in mm-hmm. but past boxers who have fought professionally do come in you know they sell stuff there's food you know that we videotape it so we have something you know for people to watch when they come back to the gym or we're working out. You, you know. guys do like a Twitch live stream. I know, right? Jeez, that'd be you should get them awesome. started on that shit. They're probably like way behind with their with their like social media. They well, they they are and they're not, but it's very scrappy. I think that's how it is for a lot of boxing gyms, unless you're uh, a corporation like Title Boxing Gym that has you know multiple locations. What's that other one? Uh, Everlast. Takeout. Or... Takeout. Oh, tap out. Tap out. That's Tap out. Yeah. It's like a Chinese food restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's Venom, Everlast. I think there's a UFC gym downtown that I saw. Yeah. Not that that has Where anything to do with boxing, but I saw, a t- I think it's called, isn't it like Tap Out, a UFC extended brand or something? Probably. But I saw like a gym, a UFC specific gym. So yeah. It's like UFC certified. But yeah, uh, but with boxing, it's just. So when did you start boxing? I started boxing four years ago. Damn, dude. I did it. Just pick it up. Yeah, I, I, tournaments and I, shit? I, I mean, I know they're air quote tournaments. Yeah, air like, quote tournaments. But technically speaking, they... I So my first smokers ever, I knocked the guy out. TKO. Um, nice yeah, he literally, he forgot where he was. That's how hard I hit him. And this yeah, is not, buddy. literally not me bragging. This is... I know, like, but I'm just concerned for you, you know. Humble, humble brag. I want you to maintain that, that, that gourd, you know, that gorgeous noggin of yours. I don't want <laughs> you losing your memory and shit. I, You're a smart kid. Thanks. I, I have a, a pretty, my fighting style, so I fight southpaw, so my right leg is lead, and orthodox is a person who fights a, a left lead. Left leg lead. Um, so I already have the advantage there because not a lot of people fight southpaw. And, and those who fight southpaws don't really have a lot of experience sparring with them. So that's always like an upper advantage when going into these type of matches. And even in my, again, in my gym, I'm, I'm among probably the four or five active sparring southpaws that go to my gym. And we just got another kid too, so which is great. Um, but even then, you know, that that's always something to keep in mind when in boxing, if you're going up against a southpaw, then they're always gonna have some type of advantage over you because it's just it's one of those things is like how often do you come across them? And so how often do you like get to see their fighting style or So how much does what foot you lead with really affect your fighting though? Because to me it's like, you know, Punch with the left, punch with the right. It doesn't matter. You're still throwing a punch. As a layman. So you have to, like, explain that to me and the listeners who who don't understand. So, okay. So, say, for example, means. for me being a southpaw, my right my right foot is my lead foot, right? And then when you're um, squared up with somebody who's orthodox... My left foot will be my lead. Yeah. But the, here's the thing. Our positions are mirrored. So we have the same lead foot pointing to each other. So if we were both orth- orthodox, it would be opposite in terms of opposite stance right. while while we're facing each other. So my left, um, my lead leg, which is my left leg, would be pointing to your right side, and then vice versa. Your lead leg would be pointing at my right side. So we're opposite. We're not mirrored. So in that in that sense, right? So we're back. <laughs> now we're back to the to the southpaw orthodox standoff are both of our jab hands essentially so it would be my right hand and then the orthodox person would be their left hand where our jab hands are on the same side essentially because you're punching with your left hand i no, i'm punching with my right my my right I, is my jab and if i lead your jab hand would be your left exactly so if we're leading with the same side punch a lot of times our punches will collide that's that's a common thing that happens oh really yeah does that hurt your arms no it's just a tap. Well, you're you're wearing hand wraps and then you have a glove on top of it, which is 16 ounces, which is pretty thick. That's a pound. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So you're, you're literally throwing... holding pound dumbbells and just throwing fists at one another. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, obviously, it's an oversimplification, but... Yeah. So why does that give you the advantage and not me? Aren't I still in the same... If we're mirrored, aren't we in the same position now? Yeah. Like, aren't we true. in but, the same position to fuck each other over? Yeah, but here's the thing. It's it's the angle that we start coming out. So remember how I said we have the same front-facing foot since yep. we're mirrored? My left is facing your right. Exactly. The thing is is in order to have an advantage over somebody when you're in this kind of matchup is whose foot is on the outside. So if our foot, if our feet, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have video to explain this better. But if our feet are pointing directly at each other, right? Yeah. What one of us would want to do is have that foot out farther or angled out over the, your opponent's foot. Mm -hmm. So that will give you the edge and the angle to have a better chance of hitting them. Is that why people circle each other in the ring like they're playing musical chairs? Essentially, yeah. Because you're trying to get the... It's like thumb wrestling with the whole body. Like yeah. you're trying to get the advantage around someone. Yes, exactly. So for to explain it even better too. So for me, since I'm southpaw, my right leg is leading, mm -hmm. my right arm is my jab hand, but then my left hand is my power arm. So, so you're coming all the way back here. Yeah. So, you so like more distance to travel with that arm. Yeah, and it's just more stored power because you're twisting, you're torquing. Essentially, that's how I like to explain it. Um, you you have more of a, a turn based on your leg to move your shoulder over to get that punch in. So you, you my left hand would be my power. So a big thing that we would like to avoid as boxers. Yes, we can get hit, and yes, we can throw hard punches. But it, that's not to say that we don't want to. You know, we, we want to dodge it as much as we can. Yeah. Because we want to get the advantage so over Floyd it. Mayweather did his whole life, and that's how he's maintained his fucking well, he's mental a, composure. Well, he's a, he's a really, really, really good defensive player. Yeah. He, he really understands how to bob and weave out of his way, and then he's a really good counter-puncher. And so that's how he usually gets yes. the advantage over other boxers, is because <laughs> he understands how to just evade, but keep them... In a, in a certain distance where he can still do work too. That's why he's such a good boxer. Yeah, I mean... His hit percentage is unbelievably high. And that's some because people say he's boring. Other people would probably, like myself, would probably say he has far more brain cells than your average boxer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because he's maintained... A, I mean, in a career where kind of head trauma is the name of the game, mm -hmm. I playing defensively, I would say, is the best investment in your long-term health. Yeah. Especially for keeping all that money. Yeah. I mean, also, there's different advantages of playing defensively. So, I like to play, de play defensively because I, that's just who I am. And that's how I develop my technique and my style as I've boxed more. Mm -hmm. um, and that just goes in part of when I first started sparring. One of the instructors, he we did a lot of drills where we would learn what is called a parry. So when you box, you have to keep your hands on your chin because you want to protect your chin. If you leave your chin exposed and it gets hit, you know, a couple things can happen. If you get hit straight on, your neck cocks back and then that shakes your brain. You most likely will get knocked out. Or if they come around with a hook and hit your chin and flick your head, again, your brain will shake. And you're most likely to get knocked out. So you always want to keep your hands to your chin. And in doing that, um, we just, we learned what's called a parry, which is a super basic move to block a punch not necessarily like with a guard up but it's more of i want to say uh, evading so what happens is if somebody throws a punch at you and your hands are your chin obviously they're aiming for your face the parry is you turn your glove over and you swipe it almost you kind of meet the meet their hand and just push it out of the way but it's a very subtle and quick movement. So you're not reaching out far and moving it. You're actually kind of waiting for them to get almost to your face. And then you move swiping it out the no left. Exactly. I, I always like to compare it to, you know, when cats um, paw or like swipe at, you know, anything. Like something that's hanging, they'll like do like a little swipe and it'll like flick around. Yeah. That's how I like to describe pairing because it's, I, I like to call it the cat's paw. So boom, you... Uh, XP, yeah, you, you move it out of the way, you push it out of the side. I, I like to do a little bit more of a high guard, so my hands are kind of like up here, and that allows me to... And he looks like he's grabbing horns off of his forehead. Yeah, so I this in this position, my forearms are protecting more of my head and chest, and 
But that makes you vulnerable now to body shots, yeah? Yeah. Makes you vulnerable. And is the point of a body shot just to take down the guard of the face? Yeah. Is it consequential to getting your hands to come back down and then start to defend down there? Yeah. And then it frees up your face real estate? It's for real estate. (laughs) It's for real estate. So, yeah. (laughs) To park that giant bus of a glove on your face. I like to keep a high guard, and that, that allows me to do more of an easier counter to... Um, to their punch. So what I'll do is I'll parry and since my hands back at the level to my chin I can throw my punch out right Ooh, away. Up so that yeah, that's a that's a parry counter. Now you know exactly what uh, Gary Vee's talking about jab 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 right hook. Exactly. Um, but yeah, there, or that's you'd be left thing. hook. It'll left hook. Yeah. Or it is, it'll still be right hook, but I could do a left hook too. Um, Southpaw. But yeah. Interesting. And then uh, another thing for defensive players is learning how to fight off the ropes, which is another big thing. I mean, a famous example would be Ali versus Frazier. Oh, not Frazier, Foreman, um, where literally pretty much six rounds of Ali just being on the ropes as um, Foreman just wailed on him. I don't know if you've ever seen that fight. No, I I never really knew oh, f- much of boxing. All, the only thing I knew about boxing was that Mayweather was a defensive player because of how much Joe Rogan talks about him. Yeah, yeah. Excuse but me. that but that Ali and Foreman fight that's probably one of the best fights of all of boxing history hmm. in in general. So if you've never seen that fight, I would highly suggest it. If you even like watching those kind of mixed martial arts fights, that's yeah. a, a definite fight you should watch. But in that fight, you have Muhammad Ali. He pretty much just works uh, Foreman. I keep saying Frazier. That's another good fight. Um, Ali versus Frazier. You should watch as as well. But Ali just kind of posts up on on the um, on the ropes, and he kind of just lets Foreman do the work on him. And you know, it, is this is not Foreman taking free shots on Ali. Definitely Foreman got some good hits in, but this is more of Ali wearing him out. Because now Foreman has to do the work of trying to either get points or knock him out. And if he's not getting the knockout and he's getting very little points from his actual hits because Ali's evading and ducking and weaving and then throwing his own counter punches too, Foreman's just getting tired. And so in the famous you know, fight, I think it was the sixth or seventh round, Ali knocks him out. And it, it's such a beautiful knockout because it's just a series of punches. And you can see Foreman just totally wiped out and just tired by then. And Ali is still, you know, hanging on pretty well. Is that the one that in, like, the Will Smith movie, Ali, like he's talking about on the broadcast, where he's, like, rhyming, I think? I Hold on. He's like, the best I've ever seen. The greatest. The, uh, yeah. yeah. He, he, Ali goes down for the fight. Frazier goes. Oh, no, was it Frazier? Okay, so I guess you're talking about Foreman, yeah? So mm-hmm. maybe it's not the one. Because he's George, talking about Frazier. Like, you know George Foreman Grills? Yeah. That's the George Foreman. He's a boxer. He was a boxer? Yes, he was a boxer. What the shit? Yeah, dude. He grilled him? Yeah. Literally. He smoked him? Fucking well, he got smoked, baby. Yeah. You said it and forget it, Poppy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> dude, those, those last series of punches, it's just... He gets him on the left and on the right, and I think he gets him with a body shot. You can just see Foreman just crumbling down, and Ali has another chance to, like, really clock it to him, but he doesn't. He just lets him be, Whoa. and he walks away. If he dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. That's some That's some mad... That's honestly a harder punch to not throw the punch. That's like, yeah. you're down, bitch. There, there's down. a great... I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but there is a great um, Netflix documentary called I Am Ali that just talks about Muhammad Ali's, you know, career. And he just died recently, too. Yeah. Damn, dude. He's a great man. But, yeah. So, so yeah. That's... My game plan for today is to definitely wear this guy out. I've, I've sparred him before, and I know his weaknesses. So, a big thing about sparring, or just fighting in general, or, or even hitting the bag. Let's just get down to the most basic concept of just working in boxing, is your breathing. I needed to burp, but it didn't come out. I thought you were taking a dramatic pause to breathe. Yeah. There it goes. Okay. Um, there it is. So when you throw a punch, I like to, I, I like to give people a lot of examples when boxing because it's hard sometimes to try to convey the concepts of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So think of punching like a steam engine, right? Yeah. So when you do the work, you release the steam because that's the that's when the work is being done. Hence, you have to breathe after every punch, right? So sometimes you'll hear those kind of noises. That's because you're forcing the air out of your body, which causes you to breathe right back in. 
So you can do a long series of punches, which is a combination, and you won't get tired. I mean, you'll get exhausted because, of course, you're expending energy to get that, but you're not getting winded because you're holding your breath in the entire time. Because each punch will be fresh. Because when you do that noise, cha 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 cha, those you're you're getting a refresh of air, which allows the blood to get the oxygen to go through your muscles, mm. and then each punch is as fresh as it can be for the next punch. Is that like the idea in martial arts of like a kia? You're like when you strike, you yeah. like let yeah, out the, yeah. let out the, the yeah. Thing. That's so. Or tennis, like the grunts. Yeah. Uh. I mean, and, yeah, and that's just because you're literally doing hard physical work. You know, I've been put through um, what's called mitts. So somebody will hold mitts for you, and then they'll call out a combination, and then you play out through that combination. And my coach, we've done mitts where he'll call out a very long combination, or he has me just throw a series of a single punch over and over and over again. And about 20 seconds in, you know, I'm starting to get tired, but... I'm just breathing, and then my breathing, the chip chip goes like yeah 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 yeah, because I'm I'm straining more to get those punches out, but at the same time I'm still breathing. So one picks up after the, uh, after the other, you know. Yes, I'm getting tired, but at the same time I've trained myself in a way where I know I can keep pushing because I'm correctly breathing, which he does not do. I've I've sparred him before, and I keep asking people, I was like, oh like. What, what was his last couple of sessions that he's done like is anything new is anything you know changed and I, I always ask about the breathing because that's honestly a very important thing if you're not breathing you're gonna get winded and my game plan for this guy is to let him get winded and just wail on me as as much as he wants yeah and just go have my way with him when I know yeah. he's tired let's take out to dinner first <laughs> Oh, he owns his own restaurant, which is even <laughs> ironic. <laughs> maybe he could take. Maybe you should put food on the table as like the bet. Mm-hmm. Like who, you know, winner covers the losers, yeah. or loser covers the. It's like sober October. I mean, I I don't like to bring bring my ego into it because, for me, it's just talk, toxic masculinity. But it's not even that. But it's just that toxic masculinity. <laughs> you know, you're putting a lot on the line already for for wanting to spar somebody mm. because you know and if you're putting your ego up against that too if you get fucked up if you know you lose or you know the match didn't go your way as much as it wanted to not only is kind of your pride and your reputation hurt your egos also hurt mm. so you have these external matters that happen and then you have your own internal reflection being like damn I'm, I'm really not shit and I talked all this game but now I'm not that great or I didn't th- I, I you know yeah I would suck at this game so bad because I'm such a like narcissist <laughs> no I don't know maybe I don't know the right word for it but I just like I'm too prideful and too uh, like I don't know but there's a balance to focus it. on myself think about it because so there's this new kid named Chris and he wants he has aspirations to go up you know in the boxing world mm-hmm. and really like make a name for himself and I'm not I'm not sounding like I'm ragging on him but he's new and so we're in a, this position where we want to build him up but for me personally I don't want him to get cocky too fast because if he does and that's just you know just asking for trouble and we we get a lot of people that go through our gym like other people bring their amateur fighters so they can spar for you know their up up and coming matches mm-hmm. and so if you're if you think you're hot shit and you get rocked then like what the fuck are you doing you know there's i'm not gonna i'm not dropping names but there's a definitely a few people who go to my gym who think they're hot shit and spar and you can definitely see it when they when they spar because you know they they do like this little shuffle with their legs and you know they like hop and jump around and blah 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 and keep their arms down leaving their face exposed and I've seen it plenty of times where, you know, you, you have somebody just hit them with the right hand or just hit it and clock them with the right hook, and then they just go flat out. And boom, there you go. Have you ever been knocked out? Have I? Uh, no, but I've almost been knocked out. How does it feel? It feels like somebody's putting... If you don't get knocked out, it feels like somebody, like your head is a dimmer switch and somebody's just like toning the lights down. What? And it goes right back up because you're not, you're not, oh, you're not going to fall over. Fuck. And that's getting hit in the head. But say if you get hit, I've gotten hit in the liver hard. Liver? 
Yeah, oh. the same feeling happens, except you can't breathe. Oh. So you have the dimmer switch, and then you're oh. trying to breathe at the same so time. So it's cut off the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So oh, fuck. That's happened so to me. Bad. Oh, that's happened to dimmer. me a few times, but one of the times I got hit in the liver. Liver. God, you're I, just saying liver makes me so in pain. It, it feels like somebody kind of... It, it's such a weird feeling because you can feel your liver being pushed in. No. And then coming back out. Poppy, no. Yeah. No. That's got to... I don't even know where... I couldn't point to my liver, but I'm sure if I got punched there, I'd know exactly where it is. Yeah, it's right here. Oh. It's bad boy right here. Oh, man. Anybody listening, your your liver is on your right side under your rib cage. That is where it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So, the last oh. time... Oh, I, I think got... I suppose you can feel it. You can push it up under your ribs. Like, yeah. you can feel that. Like, it's almost like yeah. a hit of your stomach kind of feeling when you mm-hmm. didn't touch it Ooh. I mean getting hit in the stomach hurts too it's cause they don't drink so much but the thing is okay but yeah but Sorry, last time I got real. hit in the in the liver I <sighs> I didn't get knocked I like I didn't get the sensation of being knocked out but I had all of that strain and stress of not being able to breathe and another thing too is your knees buckle because it's just it's just so much all going in at once so your yeah. body is like what the fuck is going on and you know I'm trying to hold myself up but at the same time I'm trying to breathe and like I'm trying to like <gasps> like and you can't stop the fight you have to keep going well we, we were just sparring so we, we stopped right away fuck man yeah but that's that's when you're sparring then if you're actually in the ring they don't give a fuck they're trying to knock you out oh I mean it, it depends you don't get a break right? I mean the ref the ref will probably like not stop it but but they get would... serious points for that because they got you there's only one point oh how does points work so each each punch you land is one point. Um, TKOs, not TKOs, uh, knockdowns, not knockouts, knockdowns also play a factor. Uh, it depends on the rules. So I think it's three knockdown in one round, you're, you're done. Like, that's it. Hmm. Um, there's other ones like the the bell doesn't save you from being knocked out so say if you get punched literally at the last second you fall flat if you're not up within 10 seconds then you're knocked out and you lose the match mm-hmm. um but yeah every point e- each punch landed is one point and that's how it is that's just how it works if you get knocked out you get knocked out so that's why they have the judges to tell if someone a punch landed so if you have like that, you saw that. I mean, that's why you have three judges because yeah, you need that many eyes on the match. Let alone the the ref's discretion about what's going on because a ref can also stop the match. That's how you get a TKO. If a ref like has to jump in and just stop because one person's getting the shit beat out of them and then can't do anything, the ref can just jump in, stop the match, and then that's obviously the person who's yeah. doing all the beating wins, and that's t- counted as TKO. I just mean because like. Oh, I thought it was total knockout. No, it's technically knockout. Because um, I, I remember seeing the clips from the Greg- McGregor um, Mayweather fight, mm-hmm. and there was one where McGregor like booped him on the nose a little bit, but he didn't punch him. He just like he like literally tapped him with his glove, so that yeah. wouldn't be considered a punch landed. No, that is a punch landed. That's literally just tapping his nose. Yeah, like like as if you went up to your friend and just poked him like boop. Yeah. With that much force, that's a that's a punch landing. Yeah, that's, he made contact. That's insane. That it that'd be different if McGregor if um McGregor went for that punch and then um no sorry Mayweather went for that punch and McGregor you know parried it that wouldn't count. So if if they throw a punch and it lands on your hand or any part of your forearm does not count that that point is even if it count. does end up hitting your face. Even what do you mean? Oh, like if it, like if it slips through. Oh no, that that does. Count. Okay, cool. I'm talking about the punch, like is defended. Makes, yeah, the punch is defended and make contact with any part of your hand down to your elbow, or even even your bicep. Like any, if it hits your arm but not your main body, does not count. Huh. So like the opposite. So you can of get hit in the arm. Attacker. Yeah, you can get hit in the arm. It won't count because that's not your body. Hmm. I mean, if that was the point, everybody be tapping their hands and like. You know, you get you would get a whole bunch of points. It'd just be like this, like the game yeah, where you play with hands. your simple. Yeah, is that what that's called? Yeah, hot hands. Well, that's fascinating, and I didn't know any of that. Still terrified. Would never do boxing. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Say I'm, you know, I'm not nervous. I'm definitely gonna kick this guy's ass. Um, I'm not saying I'm gonna kick his ass either, but I'm gonna, you know, have fun with it. I gotta actually leave pretty soon so I can go yeah. to the gym and warm up. 
Yeah, it's it's four thirty right now. So. Oh, okay. We got time. Uh, okay, cool. We got a little time. Cool, 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 cool. But yeah, that's pretty much it. If anybody's ever interested in boxing, like it's fun, a lot of fun. Definitely a different pace in workouts because this hardcore cardio, mm. doing punching a bag for three minutes, you'd be surprised how much how tired you get after one round of punch, like doing bag work, because that shit's intense. Yeah. Now. In, in the, sorry, not to look No, no, no that's, this is you. But think about it in, in tiers. So say you do bad work, right, for three minutes. That's a, a level of energy that is exerted. And doing mitts is another level that's higher than working on the... the Can um, you explain that as bags. you go? Because I don't think a lot of... So bad work like... is essentially, you know, you have your boxing gloves, and then there's a little literal sandbag or, you know, big pad boxing bag. It's just those big... I don't know how the, the cylindrical-looking soft mats. Punching bag. Yeah, a punching bag. Um, and so you can work with that for three minutes, do a lot of combinations on it. Then working mitts is essentially somebody is holding a pair of thick mitts, and they're calling out a combination for you, and then you just repeat what they do by punching, and they'll catch up with their mitts. And then sparring is you doing, you know, you're just essentially fighting somebody. But it's not going balls to the wall all out. Sometimes it can be, sometimes it doesn't have to. But sparring is just practicing light, you know, boxing with another opponent, somebody who can actually hit you back. Uh, and even with pads, you know, who, depending on who you want to work with, they can like throw throw the pad at you, and it does not hurt. Um, and then they can hit you, but that's just to simulate a little bit more of a real experience of you know sparring with somebody. So yeah, so bag work is like I would say level one. Mitts is level two, and then sparring is level three. Uh-huh. And you think you get tired after doing a round on the bags? Wait until you do sparring, and you'll know what real work feels like. Because even if you do it lightly with somebody, you're. Uh, I like to explain it again to people who work on the bags. When you're working on the bags, you kind of you have these what I call isolated incidents with a bag that can't hit you back. So you can work on whatever you want to do. You can do one thing at a time. Um, and there's no consequence because you're, it's just a one-way street, essentially. Yeah. Now, when you do emits, you're bringing some of those isolated incidents or concepts and you're combining a few of them, but still, nobody's hitting you back. And you're really kind of following what the, what the instructor is working with you. So it's just kind of, it's almost like a dance, you would say. You know, you're just working with somebody, mm-hmm. and then they're they're doing what you're being told to do. But then when you're sparring, all those isolated incidents, all those isolated concepts, kind of go into play all almost all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because now, not only do you have somebody who can hit you back and has their own agenda of fighting with you with their own strategy, but you have to prevail with your strategy and your concepts in order to get the edge or to land your punches on them. And trust me, that shit's hard. Really fucking hard. So yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's... Yeah. And I love it too. Just boxing so much fun in general. And it's almost like you're playing a chess match with somebody. Really quick. Yeah. There's there's been interesting times where I've sparred with people or I, actually I'll I'll give you my first experience sparring. So when I first started, that's when I wanted to take boxing a little bit more seriously and do a little bit more. So when I started sparring, I first I, I sparred with one of the best instructors at the gym, which I, I didn't even know that was gonna happen. He was like, Yeah, me and you right now. I was like, What are you serious, dude? Me against you? Like this is gonna be my first time. And I got my shit rocked. Like, I could not see the punches. He, I literally could not see the punches he threw at me as I was standing right in front of him. Were you wearing those face masks? Yeah, we were wearing face masks. We, we wear protection. We have our mouth guards and we wear headgear. Um, some people, can you can opt in to work up. <clears throat> but honestly, you rarely ever get hit below the belt, which, in my opinion, is not that serious. Like, it just doesn't happen often. I think I've maybe got hit once below the belt. Like, that's it. Um... Yeah, but I I just didn't know what to do, mainly because he was hitting me so fast and you know a couple hard shots, and it 
I was just, I was like, whoa, like what's going on? And then as time went on, it just, it's kind of a cool feeling and cool experience. I've kept, you know, sparring with that instructor and I sparred other people too. Um, but as time went on, he would throw a punch and then I would be able to see it. Whoa. And I honestly, that would be the coolest thing because not only could I see it, but I can move out of the way. And then he missed completely and be like, holy shit. Like and then I see with another one. Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> go, go right back to reality. Oop. Oop, Oop, there goes gravity. gravity. Um, spaghetti. Yep. So yeah, it, it, it's, if you want to get down really nerdy to it, it feels like you're fucking fighting in an anime, you know, you know, you're just seeing just shit like being doing things that are almost not superhuman but just beyond a level if you just walked in and just saw it and just see two people fucking going at it yeah and just with just so like really good technique and at a speed that you just never seen before it'd be like holy shit like what's it's going like on? that quicksilver scene from first class where it slows down and he's running around the pentagon kitchen mm-hmm. and he's like the water's falling from the sprinklers and he's like moving shit out of the way he's moving bullets dude there's even been times so there's what there's a lot of motion movement when you're, even when you're not doing anything in sparring people will have what's called a tempo mm-hmm. so they'll be like bobbing their head like a little like side to side or they'll be you know you know tapping their feet not necessarily tapping but you can just see like kind of you know if they're if music was playing they would like kind of go to the beat of it mm-hmm. and that allows for better slipping and evasion of punches because your body's already set in motion so whatever punch comes out you're like ready to to move mm-hmm. because if you're actually just standing still it's harder to uh, dodge a punch than if you're already moving yeah so there's there's been times where and this happens to everybody too who are like are really well experienced when it comes to sparring people will throw punches and i don't know what it is i i just know for a fact that if they're throwing it i just move out of the way mm. it's just like i saw into the future almost and then they're they throw the punch and i just move what's well, something to say about that i mean when, when you have intuition from experience you it's, you can see what sets it up Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, he talks about this tennis coach that without fail can call out a fault before the ball's even served. Yeah. When the ball gets thrown into the air, he knows if it's going to be a fault or not, like when they set up for it. Mm-hmm. And he can't explain why he knows, but he all he knows is that he knows. Yeah, it's just it's just a, an instinct. It, and that's another thing that people probably don't understand if they just walk into boxing instinct actually plays a pretty big role in how how well you do because there's some boxers that can have pretty bad form overall but they can have really good instinct and with that that can take them far to you know just throw a good punch when needed to and that that's that happens to me that's why i like playing so defensively is because i in my personal experience i have good intuition on knowing when i can throw my punches back and, and essentially counter punch because you're you're looking for those openings and when i know those openings when i know those openings present them present themselves i'm ready to to take action and take that opportunity with me mm-hmm. so so yeah are you gonna see Creed two when it comes out? Yeah, I'm really excited for that movie. Okay. It looks really good. <sighs> so yeah. So what do you got? What What are your plans? Let's just wrap this up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry, man. I'm really out of it today. That's no, cool. Uh, yeah, I worked at movie theater last night, and then I opened this morning, the and movies. then I came here after so. But yeah, what, what I mean, I'm excited. That? I'm I'm definitely rooting for you, buddy. And uh, but moving forward, I now know that I want to do grip and electric work. So I'm going to be applying where I can when the time comes. I'm still looking about moving in with my old roommate mm-hmm. from like my sophomore and junior years of college. And I'm going to be looking for places then. But moving forward immediately, uh, right after this, I'm going to a buddy's house to talk about doing a film that he's writing right now. So the plan is just to make as many things as possible, apply for grip, uh, like light houses like the uh, fast lights i think is one that he recommended their mm-hmm. warehouse is an old church which is pretty cool that's pretty dope um but yeah just <laughs> n- narrow my job search now which mm-hmm. is super helpful it's given me like a lot less to work with which is good you know it's not so scary anymore life just kind of goes on and uh thanksgiving's coming up so 
I'm going to be going back home. My sister, I think, is cooking dinner. And then I got family in that town, too. My little brother's uh, grandparents and, and his dad. And, so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see my family for the holidays. I'll have a lot of coffee to give them for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a stockpile of yeah. coffee. Me, when when I went back home for my brother's wedding, I just brought all my coffee. Probably a shit ton. Like, like, there you go. Here you go, everybody. Take, coffee for everyone. Because you like. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for the holiday coming up. And uh, I don't know. I'm excited for life mm-hmm. moving forward. I'll keep us updated week to week. But yeah, obviously, what you're going to be doing, the upcoming, your upcoming plans... Oh, fight someone yeah tonight at five what time is it no not at five uh it, it, the the start time is a little elusive but i'm not gonna i don't want to get there anything later than five thirty. so okay point. uh so right now i'm working on my own personal project which is stripping a chair that i got for free which is mm-hmm. awesome uh, my roommates were talking to me about a chair that their mom has that want they they wanted to get it reupholstered and I told them I'm totally down for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so more experience to me on my own personal time. Uh, still doing my internship. You know, it's fun. And finally, like last this past week, I was able to go not as like the full day, but for a half day. And even then, I was still happy because you know I still got to get some work in. Still got to work on some pieces um, that you know were really cool there was this really nice lacquered kind of chinoiserie type chair um though and we had to strip it but the thing was we had to be very delicate with it because one wrong move when stripping it you know we have these like little spike tools that lift the staples and um tacks out and one wrong move and if you slip you scratch the lacquer you're fucked because that lacquer is really hard to to kind of patch out because it's essentially, you know, I'm not like I'm not gonna go too quickly into it. Essentially, lacquer is just layers of paint put on top of one another to make kind of this nice glossy or matte surface. So we have to be very careful with that one. And I did a really good job because I stripped that thing in like half an hour. It was really really fast work. That's good. So yeah. That's exciting. Okay, you go. We're gonna we're gonna wrap. Eddie's gonna go warm up. Yep. And kick some butt. And I'm gonna go trying to keep staying up and go to a friend's house, talk about movies. So this is Eddie checking out. This is Gage checking out. Bye bye. Hit the stop. No, you just marked it. (laughs) Hit the stop on the square. Where? This one? This one? The one that has the square, bro. Where? This. Right here.